series in the book of Colossians, or, or really, more accurately, the letter to the believers at Colossae, uh, written by Paul and Timothy. We're calling the series In Christ, Finding Our Identity in the Supreme King, and I, I hope that that is becoming clear to you as it's uh, emphasized again and again and again and again as we go through this letter. Uh, our identity is in Christ. So last week we looked at the first 17 verses of chapter 3. That was a big chunk to go through. And, and in that section we saw this list of virtues uh, that people who identify uh, themselves as being in Christ uh, a list of virtues that they are supposed to put on or, or wear, almost like getting dressed every morning. And those virtues included compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience and forgiveness. And Paul said, above all, above all, put on love, agape love, which glues all of this together. It's the thing that binds it all together, holds it all together. And that section concluded with the commands to let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, let the word of Christ richly dwell in you, and in everything you do and say, do it and say it in the name of Christ. And, and those, uh, I just want to remind you that those virtues were, were given in the context of the body of Christ, our church family. They're given to promote unity and, and guard against division, right? So when those things are present, we will experience unity. It's, it's a byproduct of it, even in the middle of our differences, uh, just a reminder, and I said this last week, Paul was writing to this really diverse community who, who had all kinds of sort of built-in natural differences, racial differences, religious background differences, economic and, and status differences. But somehow, again, we know how because it was under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul believed that under submission to King Jesus, those differences just sort of fade to the background. And they don't, they don't matter that much anymore. As I came to the end of my message last week, I, I asked you all if you wanted to be a part of a church like that. And it was really exciting for me up here to look out and see heads going like this. Right? There's something in us that, that just wants to be a part of a community, a loving, uh, mutually submitted, uh, submitting community like that. But here's the thing, I, I also know this. Uh, the enemy of Jesus, uh, who hates his church and hates us, will do anything and everything he can to uh, destroy unity. And, and Becky and I have been... Uh, sensing this in increasing ways lately. So on, on Thursday morning, but before the sun came up, we, we came over to the church. I think it was around 5.30 in the morning, and we spent about an hour prayer walking uh, around our church here, uh, praying, asking God to frustrate the efforts of the enemy 
and, and cause these uh, loving traits to thrive, uh, to, to build unity among us. Now, I don't know what your schedules are like or where prayer fits into your daily schedule, but I would just beg you uh, to join us as we pray again against the, the evil one, that his schemes would be thwarted and, and for King Jesus to reign uh, in, in this body. Um, we're not going to be prayer walking every morning. Uh, I can't tell you when we're going to do it again. Uh, we will. Um, but, but here's what I'd like to ask. I, I'd like to ask you to join us where, wherever and, and whenever you pray uh, to pray this way and, and maybe even suggest that if you need some guidance on how to pray, pray Colossians 3 over over our fellowship here. That's kind of a recap of where we were last week. Uh, This morning, uh, we're going to be looking at another big chunk. Just four verses, actually. (laughs) Uh, So it should be pretty easy for us to tackle. Uh, Four verses where, where Paul focuses on what families who are surrendered to Christ should look like and and how they interact with each other. Um, I think it's also a really important passage because uh, not only is our church family under attack from Satan, our individual families are as well. I don't know if any of you sense that, but uh, I sure do. And so this is an important uh, text for us to to look at this morning. So before we go uh, any further, let me just lead us in prayer. King Jesus, we recognize and acknowledge your rule and your reign. We want to come under that. We want to submit ourselves to your rule in our lives, both individually and as a, as a, a faith family here. And so as we look at these verses this morning... We pray that you would speak to us, that you would show us what your uh, desire, what your heart is uh, for families, and uh, help us to hear it, Uh, where there needs to be correction in our lives, uh, help us to uh, repent and change direction and build into our lives the things that, that you say we need to, and we pray that. In the strong name of Jesus, amen. Uh, Colossians 3, 18 to 21 uh, is one of three parallel New Testament passages that speaks uh, to Christian relationships in the home. Uh, the other is, Ephesians, is in Ephesians 5 and another one in 1 Peter 3. There have been a lot of abuses that have, that have grown out of these verses, and I'm going to try to address those as we work our way uh, through. But I'm going to start by just sort of ripping off the Band-Aid and, and reading these four verses, and then, uh, and then kind of going back and, and addressing each one individually. So um, let me invite you to open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. That's on page 951 of the Bibles that the ushers handed out. And we're going to begin at verse 18, which says, 
Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this is pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children so they will not become disheartened. Again, we're going to look at each of these in a minute, but before we do, I I want us to um, understand uh, these verses maybe in a little bit higher uh, level or or general uh, way before we look at them in in the specific roles that are uh, called out here. What do I mean by that? Um, First of all, I think it's important to understand that the verses that, that precede these four verses, the ones that we looked at last week, address the whole community of faith, um, all of those who are in Christ. Okay? And in that realm, we all have a common calling. Uh, we all are to be mutually submitting to one another, uh, being humble with one another, We are all to be selflessly loving one another, deferring to one another. And if I can push this just a little bit further and and stay with me on this, I'd like to suggest that in one sense, in Christ, we are all collectively the submitting wife in this text. A little weird? Uh, The Bible speaks of Israel, which we are grafted into as God's wife. Uh, New Testament uh, speaks uh, collectively of of the body of believers as the bride of Christ. Uh, Look at Isaiah 54, 5 here on the screen. For your creator will be your husband. The Lord of heaven's armies is his name. He is your redeemer, the holy one of Israel, the God of all the earth. I recognize that it might feel a little strange, uh, especially for some of you who aren't familiar with uh, the language of the Bible, the metaphors of the Bible. It might be a little strange to think of yourselves as the bride of Christ, especially if you're a male. It's like, you know, something kind of doesn't quite compute, doesn't feel right. But it is an image that the Bible uses to describe the relationship between the church and Christ, and, and many of us are familiar with that. It's a, it is an image that, that the Bible uses. So in this general or, or common sense, this common calling, we are all wife or bride, okay? But we are also, all of us, called to be obedient children. So we find ourselves, all of us, in this text in this way. First uh, John 3, 1 says, See how very much our Father loves us, for He calls us His children. And then John adds, And that is, in fact, what we are. We are His children. And verse 9 goes on to say that the person who is a child of God obeys God. So all of us who are in Christ are to be obedient children of God. Okay? So we, we find ourselves as wife, we find our, or bride, if you're more comfortable with, with that. We, we find ourselves in this story as, as child. 
And, and lastly, and, and we, we see this in the verses we looked at last week, um, all of us have the role of being caregivers to one another. You, you might even say that it looks like the role of a nurturing parent. What? First Thessalonians 5.14 we urge you, brothers and sisters, admonish the undisciplined, comfort the discouraged, help the weak, be patient toward all, and see that no one pays back evil for evil. What does that have to do with, with being nurturing parents? Well, I found as a parent that I had to admonish and discipline, uh, comfort the kids when they're discouraged, Parents help their kids do things that they are too small or too weak to do on their own. Uh, parents are supposed to be patient with their kids, and oftentimes parents end up being a referee, uh, making sure that one kid doesn't pay back evil that was done to them by the other kid. How many of you have ever heard, she hit me first, right? Repaying evil for evil. So as we approach these four verses, we need to first acknowledge that we are all of us represented in a general or common way by our relationship to God and our relationships with one another in Christ. So uh, I'm saying that because I want you to know no one gets a pass this morning in, in these four verses. No one gets to say this passage isn't really about me, okay? So let's dive in. Um, Paul starts by addressing the wives. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Ah, this verse has caused so many people to view Paul as this misogynistic or paternalistic uh, male in his views about women. And I think part of that happens because we don't understand the word that's translated uh, submit here. So we, we tend to see it as a, as a forced submission, right? A, a subjugation of women. And for many of us, that, that sort of causes us to react. Uh, we kind of bristle against that, right? It, it doesn't, doesn't feel right. Well, I want to say to all of us this morning, with confidence, that is not what Paul was teaching. Because the whole Bible gives us examples of women in significant roles, leadership roles. Uh, the Old Testament includes women who held both political and spiritual roles of leadership. Uh, women like Miriam and Deborah and Huldah. How many of you know who Huldah is? Look it up and see what she did, okay? The New Testament uh, continues with women disciples, prophets, uh, apostles, not, not the 12, but apostles like Barnabas, right? Deacons, evangelists, women who were named Mary and Junia and Priscilla and Phoebe. Those are just a few of the names. Uh, women, I, I often remind us of this at Easter, uh, were the first to witness the resurrection and proclaim the risen Lord. They were the the very first evangelists of the gospel, that Jesus is alive, right? Paul counted women among his co-laborers for the gospel. 
Phoebe was this trusted sister who carried Paul's letter, uh, Romans, to the Christians in Rome. And she probably was the first one to read it to those Christians and explain it to them. Um, so I'm saying all of that to say Paul is not trying to subjugate women. That is not what is going on here. I also want to give this di disclaimer. Um, this verse is not intended to allow abuse of women in the home or anywhere else um, or suggest in any way that they should stay in, abusive, in an abusive uh, situation. That's not okay. Uh, if you're in that kind of relationship, please talk to somebody. Uh, talk to somebody here at the church. We have uh, uh, organizations in our community that can help as well. Um, uh, you do not need to stay in that. Uh, get help. Uh, husbands who are doing that need to be rebuked, and if they don't repent and change their behavior, um, the wife should not remain in that relationship, okay? That's really important because this verse has sometimes been used to keep women in abusive relationships, okay? So that's not what is going on here. What is going on? Uh, the, the word that Paul uses that is translated submit uh, carries with it this idea of a voluntary submission out of reverence for Christ, uh, it has nothing to do with status or inferiority or hierarchy. Uh, that was, in fact, the way that the culture of the first century in Colossae viewed things. Paul is, is calling for something really, really different than what they were familiar with. Um, it's, a, it's a result of something Scott McKnight calls a Christiform life or a Christ-shaped life that is to be true of all of our relationships, including those at home, where it is oftentimes the most difficult to live it out, okay? Uh, I, I mentioned that these verses have a parallel in two other places in the New Testament. The most clear parallel is in Ephesians chapter 5, and there Paul spells out explicitly what should be obvious to us in the verses uh, we were in last week in Colossians 3. But in Ephesians 5.21, speaking to the whole church, Paul says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So to everyone, he says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is the, the, the foundation for what is about to follow. This, this mutual submission of all believers to one another is where we start. And then Paul begins to give some specific examples of, of what that looks like in the home. Verse 22, for wives, this means submitting to your husbands as to the Lord. I think it's important for us to, to point out the motivation for this voluntary submission. The motivation for this attitude of submission is as to the Lord. The motivation is not because your husband is the ideal man, right? And if he just were the ideal man, then you might be willing to submit to him. That's, that's a moot point, in part because there are no ideal men, right? Can I get an amen from the women, right? This submission is not dependent on 
the husband's aptitude. It's completely dependent on who Christ is. Okay? One Bible teacher has, has made the point that when God is addressing wives, he is addressing wives. And when God is addressing husbands, he is addressing husbands. And neither of them has the right to use what God has said to the other as a tool to manipulate the other or uh, as a weapon to be used against them, okay? Uh, this means, husbands, you can never ever say to your wife, you're supposed to submit to me. My wife's over here. You're supposed to submit to me, right? Uh, the submission that Paul is talking about here is a willing uh, uh, response to the Lord. Verse 19, Paul turns his attention uh, to husbands. And, and whenever Paul does this, he spends more time on the guys than he does on the women. Thanks a lot, Paul. But he does. Verse 19, husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. Again, Paul turns the tables here on what would have been the accepted norm or, or culture of the day. In, in many cases, women were viewed as little more than, than property of the men, uh, not as something to be cherished and loved. Uh, it's, it's worth pointing out that the love that's being talked about here is agape love. It's not romantic love, right? So that, that, that changes the conversation a little bit. And that's not to say that romance doesn't have a place in marriage. It absolutely does. God included a whole book of the Bible to describe that romantic love between a husband and wife. Um, sometimes I, I, in my role as pastor, I, I meet with couples uh, who are having difficulty in their marriage, and, and sometimes uh, what I hear from them is... Uh, they say something like, eh, there's just no spark anymore. Uh, I'm not attracted to her or to him like I was when we first got married. And I've often repeated the, avi the advice of, of one of my pastors um, who said, do you love her because she's beautiful or is she beautiful because you love her? Do you love her because she's beautiful or is she beautiful because you love her? I believe, guys, that as we devote ourselves to loving our wives, uh, they will become more and more beautiful to us. Uh, loving our wives with that unconditional agape love of God I've seen it happen. I've seen it restore and reignite that um, romantic love uh, in a marriage. It's amazing. Uh, it's amazing to see it happen. So what does that kind of love look like in a marriage? Same parallel passage of Ephesians 5, Paul goes into a lot more detail. And again, I start with verse 21, where he says to everyone... Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then we skip down to verse 25, where Paul says, For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church 
He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. So Paul tells husbands to love their wives just like Christ loved the church. And and then Paul describes what that looks like. It means giving up your life for her. Now, obviously, Jesus did this in a very literal way. He died on the cross so that we might be a part of, of, of the church, his bride, right? In, in contrast to that, Jesus only asks us guys to do that a little bit, right? To, to, to die to ourselves so that she can be all that God wants her to be. Uh, it's, it's, it's preferring her needs over my own. When uh, Dave Carn's brother uh, got married, uh, he, well, when he got engaged, he asked me to write a song uh, for the wedding. And the song was supposed to be a surprise for Joel and Krista. Uh, they didn't get to hear it until I sang it in the, in the ceremony. But they did get to see the title of it in the, in the program for the wedding. Uh, I titled the song, Give It Up, which they were more than a little concerned about when they, when they saw it. It, it, didn't, it didn't really sound to them like a great love song that should be sung in, the, in their wedding, right? Give it up. Uh, but the song tried to capture what's behind this verse, the, the humble, sacrificial love for the other, a, a love that's modeled for us by Jesus in his sacrificial love for us. He gave up. He gave it up for us. He gave up his life for us. And husbands, we are to sacrificially love our wives in the same way. If I were to pick one word uh, to describe this kind of love, one, one word to, to serve as a, as a motto for us guys who are married in, in how to love our wives, that word would be servant. There's been a lot written over the years about what it looks like for a man to be the spiritual leader in the home. Personally, I believe the, the, the word that captures it best is servant. I also believe this, that the regular practice of uh, uh, serving uh, uh, an agape, unconditional love that results in serving our wives fosters the kind of submission Paul calls for from the wife. And it does it more than anything else. Okay? Uh, Paul also says that we're not to become embittered toward our wives. What is, what is that about? Here's what I think. Um, I think if we lose sight of how Christ loved us by giving his life up for us, then we will likely become bitter about taking on that role of servant. How many of you know being a servant is not natural, right? It's, it's, it's not especially guys, right? It's, it's just not how we're naturally in our sin nature 
wired, right? And if we lose sight of why we're doing that, it's real easy to become bitter. I did this, and I did this, and I did this, and you never, right? If you find yourself becoming bitter, it may be an indicator that you've lost sight of why we do this and why we are commanded to do it, which is Christ's, um, following Christ's attitude of a humble servant. Well, uh, so wives, husbands, children. We've got a few in the room here. So, um, but again, remember this applies to all of us. So, verse 20, children, obey your parents in everything, for this is pleasing to the Lord. So after calling uh, wives to have an attitude of submission to their husbands and husbands to have an attitude of servant love for their wives, Paul calls children to submit by obeying their parents. The first thing that I think is really interesting here is that uh, in this verse, Paul is, is really breaking new ground for how the early church was to view children. Now, for those of you who are kids um, in the room, it may not feel like it to you today, but this is significant. That Paul would even mention kids was remarkable in a culture that didn't value them at all. Uh, Paul really is, is raising the status by including them in the, the uh, instructions to the whole church. Another way we might say it is that in this passage, the kids get to sit at the grown-ups table. Now, that, that comes with, well, oh, that's kind of cool, but it comes with responsibility as well. Uh, the kids are like the adults in that they obey their parents. Why? Because it's pleasing to the Lord. Not because it's pleasing to the parents. I mean, it will be. But that's not the motivation. The motivation is because it's pleasing to the Lord. The, the, the command to obey parents is not because the parents are always right. They're not. All of you kids know that, right? Duh. I know they're not always right. Oftentimes, your parents know that, too. They should, anyway. Uh, but the verse doesn't say, obey your parents if they are right, does it? It doesn't say, obey your parents if you agree with them. It says, obey your parents because this pleases the Lord. And it can be really tough sometimes to obey when you just, you just don't agree with the reasoning. I mean, in, in your mind, it's so clear that this is a ridiculous rule that they're asking you to, to follow, right? But I want to say this. This is one of the ways that you can worship Jesus because it's something that pleases the Lord. So obey your parents. Uh, I want to include a similar exception to this command that I did uh, for the women and I want to say to, to any of the kids here, if a parent or, or any other adult is asking you uh, to do something you know is sinful or if they are abusing you somehow, find an adult that you can talk to to get help. Somebody you can trust that will help. Um, it might be one of your youth leaders. It, it could be a teacher. 
Um, it, it might be Chrissy, it might be me, but find somebody uh, to talk to. Um, God is not saying here that you uh, should do something that's sinful or, or harmful uh, when he says to obey your parents. Well, lastly, it's interesting, in these four verses, um, husbands get half of all of the instruction, right? So we're going to come back to fathers here. Uh, the relationship of fathers with their children. Uh, and, and like the other verses, how Paul tells dads to relate to their kids is this complete shift, an, a night and day difference from the culture of the day. Verse 21, fathers, do not provoke your children so that they will not become disheartened. This verse paints a very different picture than the accepted practice uh, of the first century of this authoritarian father who, who orders his children around like slaves. Most of us, I think, would agree that's not a, a good way to motivate a child, even if... Okay, I, just, let's just be honest with each other here. I'm going to go ahead and ask for a show of hands. How many of you have ever said, because I said so? Right? Yeah. I heard my parents say that, especially my dad, and I swore I would never, ever say that. And then I did, right? That's, because I said so is not a good uh, way to motivate uh, a child. The word provoke here carries um, the idea of, of picking on or berating a child to the point of um, anger, uh, but not just anger, uh, it, it leads to de despondency. It, it, it deflates them. It, it breaks their spirit. Uh, one of the shows that Becky and I enjoy watching comes out of Canada. It's called Heartland. I know some of you like that show. So you may be familiar with, with this illustration. It's a, it's a story about a family in Alberta that raises cattle and, and horses. And one of the main characters is a woman named Amy who has this, she's sort of a horse whisperer, right? She has this knack for gentling horses. Uh, she works with the horse and, until she gains the horse's trust and then something sort of magical happens. I don't even know how they do this on the show, but it, it happens over and over again when the horse decides to join up. With her. Those of you who have seen the show know what I mean, right? It's amazing. And at that point, she knows that, that she's um, gained the horse's trust. And a gentled horse like this retains its spirit, its spunk, but it uses that spirit to work together with the handler. Now, that can be contrasted with what most of us have, have heard of, uh, something that is called breaking a horse. One of the commentators that, that I read explained his experience of uh, working on a horse ranch when he was in college. He said this, Breaking a horse can range from simply wearing the horse down until he gives in, or it can include more extreme measures. One of the most extreme ways of breaking a horse I ever witnessed was when the trainer took a two-by-four and knocked the stubborn horse to its knees. When he got up, the trainer did it again. It was done repeatedly until the horse gave up. And then he said this, 
A horse can be tamed this way, but at great cost. You will have a spiritless animal, an animal that is obedient, but will never be what it could have been. And I think all of us would agree this isn't training, this is abuse, right? But the same thing can be done with children. Um, and it, it doesn't work. Uh, you might get them to be obedient, um, but you'll break their spirit. They'll be despondent. They'll be disheartened. Well, as with the instructions to the wives and husbands and children, Ephesians, Ephesians 5, uh, 6 actually gives us a slightly different view of this verse. Uh, in Colossians, it's a negative command, don't do this. And in Ephesians, Paul adds a positive alternative. So, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with, dis with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. So in the last part of verse 4, we see that fathers are to be both discipling and disciplining their kids. Discipling and disciplining. What does that mean? Scripture places uh, the, the main responsibility of training children to follow Jesus uh, primarily on the shoulders of the parents. Yes, we have uh, children's directors. Yes, we have youth pastors. And, and Becky and I have been so grateful for those in helping to raise our own kids. But the primary responsibility for that falls on the, on the shoulders of the parents. Uh, they're responsible to model uh, God's love, provide for their needs, teach them what it means to live according to God's word. In, in the context of Colossians 3, it would include teaching them about putting off or, or putting to death the old person. And it would include teaching them about putting on the clothing of Christ. It means that we teach our children how to become compassionate and kind, humble and gentle, patient and forgiving. We teach them how to love unconditionally. And this is important. When we ourselves fail at these things, we confess them to God. And here's the hard part. And to our kids. So, so we're not guilty of being a hypocrite and, and teaching them it's okay to say one thing but do something else. Okay? But fathers are also to discipline their children. What does that mean? That's another word that, that today we might, uh, careful, right? Uh, but we know this from the Bible. God disciplines the children he loves. And he does it in order to train us toward righteousness. The, the goal of God's discipline is always constructive correction, not simply punishment for wrongdoing, and, and we need to discipline in the same way. The, the Lord's discipline teaches us that there are consequences to our sinful behavior, and as a result, we, we hopefully learn to, to love and obey God because things go better when we do, and the more we obey, the more we love, and the more we love Him, the more we want to obey him. And our discipline of our children should have the same result, uh, one of shaping our kids to have a desire to follow Jesus and, and walk in his kingdom ways. Another uh, caveat here with, with this one. 
Uh, when Paul talks about discipline, and, and it should be obvious from what I've sent, said so far, he is not giving a license for harsh emotional or physical abuse. Uh, it's not okay. Um, good rule, you, you've heard it before, I'm sure, never discipline when you're angry. Uh, I know from personal experience, when I've done that, it doesn't go well. Um, it's, it's just too easy to cross a line when you do that. Um, again, I think that the two different pictures of gentling a horse versus breaking a horse uh, might be good to keep in mind. So this is how a Christ-surrendered family lives together. They, they bring their mutual submission to Christ and to one another into those specific roles that we see in, in the individual family. Let me ask this question, though. Uh, if you're here this morning and you're single or unmarried, um, anything in this for you? Um, I believe uh, the church has done a, a huge disservice to single people for a long, long time. And one of the ways we've done that is to overemphasize marriage as God's ideal for all people, right? Now, don't get me wrong. God loves marriage. He invented marriage. He uses marriage as one of uh, the, the pictures of the relationship between Christ and his church. There's a whole book devoted to the, the beautiful sexual love between a husband and a wife. God's pro-marriage, okay? However... Marriage isn't the ultimate goal in life, right? Married people aren't somehow more complete or more spiritual than single people are. In fact, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7 that it might be better for some to remain single than to get married because sometimes a single person is able to focus more of their energy and attention on serving God. Single people are not second-class citizens in, in the faith family, okay? Uh, if you're here this morning and, and that's you, you, you share in the same common calling of, of bride in Christ, the same calling uh, of child of God, the same calling of, of caregiver or nurturing parent even with, with everyone else in our church family. And as Paul suggests, you might be able to fulfill that calling even better than the married person can. So don't feel like there's nothing here this morning for you or nothing in our family here uh, for you. So if, if you're single this morning, I just want to challenge you to step into that common calling to submit to Christ in everything you do, obey Christ as God's child in everything you do, and use your gifts to, to nurture and uh, uh, care for the other members of our family. Uh, you have a lot to offer, and, and we need you. For married people in our church, uh, that common calling is for, for you, too. Uh, you have a responsibility to our church family, as well as a responsibility. You've got dual responsibility, right? As well as a responsibility in your individual family in the role that you play in that family. So, wives, develop a heart of humility that willingly submits to your husband as an act of submission to Christ. Husbands, develop a heart of loving humility that serves your wife like Christ 
served his bride, the church. And guard your heart against bitterness when you serve. And kids, um, obey. Uh, in Ephesians, uh, the parallel passage in Ephesians adds honor. Obey and honor your parents, not because they're always right, they're not, but this is one of the ways that you can act like a grown-up, act like a grown-up Christian. This is one of the ways even that you can help teach the rest of us what surrendering to King Jesus is supposed to look like, okay? Let's pray. Lord, again, thank you for these words. Um, at, at times, difficult words to understand. Uh, always difficult words to put into practice uh, because they go against what's natural for us. And so, Holy Spirit, would you uh, be building into us uh, as these new creatures in Christ a new way of behaving, a new way of thinking um, that... that uh, treats each other as, as these verses have called us to do. Uh, again, Lord, uh, guard the unity of our church. Build, build unity among us. May we become a church family who uh, mutually submits to one another, loves one another, uh, humbly serves one another. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.